Good evening, morning, afternoon, whatever applies to you, and welcome to another Euro League. I am joined, as always, by Mr. Kira and a new guest, Katsura Kotaro from Gitama. That is my favourite anime of all time. Oh, there you go. Well, should be, should be you're in it. So I know, I know. Well, you know, I thought. What was the name of the character? A Katsura, but everyone mistakes his name for Zura, and he makes a joke. It's a running joke out of it. What's it is... the uh, anime? Gintama. It's probably the greatest parody anime of all time. It's it's wonderful. There's in fact an entire episode which is basically a parody of Dragon Ball, but it's kind of in the in like the the, the perspective of smoke. Public smoking has been banned, so they have to search the cosmos for a planet which has smoking-free areas. And yeah, that was great. It was a wonderful experience. I think everyone should watch it. It's great. Hmm, interesting. Parody anime, a genre I didn't know existed. There you go. Uh, learning lots of new things. Learned about Lollicon last week. Learning about he said, parody he said, anime. He said, oh he said it again. He <laughs> couldn't help himself. Uh, all, uh, you know, when once I research something, I'm all in, Kira. You know, oh. wh whatever that entails, you just have to... to uh, if anyone's been following hashtag League Twit this week, you'll have seen plenty <laughs> of... Uh, got a connection. Plenty of uh, CP... Uh, <laughs> This past oh, however long anyway. So, you know, we, we keep it topical here, guys. You know, we really stay... Strong start, lads. Strong yeah. start. We really stay on, on the, you know, the uh, current events, as it were. Anyway, uh, before we talk anything esports or Lollicon, you guys know the drill. Uh, we have to uh, do a patented would you rather, and it goes as follows this week. By the way, I'm not sure... One second. Uh, I am not sure if there's like a really easy answer to this or not. There might just be because, spoiler alert, I haven't really thought it through at all. So this might just be a super easy slam dunk, but fuck it, just wrote this again off the top of the dome. Uh, would you, Nymera, rather have a 51% win rate in League perpetually? So you don't know when you're going to win or lose games, but you know you will always maintain a 51% win rate in League. Or would you rather have a 51% win rate in gambling, but obviously you don't know which bets are going to be, you know, 51%. You don't know which ones are going to be 49%. Who knows? Make the wrong bet at the wrong time, and it's, you know, still a loss, a big loss, isn't it? You could still be in a deficit. So what would hmm. it be? So, well, I think the easy way to break this one is gambling 51%, and you always bet exactly the same amount every time. So if you just do that, and you put down like a thousand bets of the same amount, you will win the fifty-one percent and will even out. But you have to put down enough bets for obviously to what a way break to live, though. What point. a way to live. Yeah, but but this, the problem is, what a way to live. That's exactly why I wouldn't choose the League of Legends one because I don't want to sit like I'm sit there and play League of Legends and have fifty-one percent win rate and actually have the wins be completely divorced from my skill level. Now I don't mind being a low below fifty percent because I know I'm playing shit. I'm okay with that happening. But like, if I'm playing well and I'm still capped at a 51% win rate, I feel pretty bad about that. Because that means that I feel like I'm stuck in this kind of purgatory of never actually seeing the the, the effort of my work pay off in League. Because it'll always be capped at 51%. So I think the gambling one, like, if you just put the same amount every time, like, that's just a net positive. Plus, I don't gambling's not part of my regular life anyway. I don't gamble. But I could do that now without, like any significant chance of loss if I play it right, whereas the League thing, if I accepted that bit, I just, I would, I would, I would hate playing League, because I would feel divorced from my, 
um, my skill level in League. So I, I would choose the gambling. Fair enough, fair enough. What do you think, Kira? What would you take? So what you're saying is I either have a 51% win rate in League, right? Yeah. Which I'm already higher in, or I, I'm... I'm worse at blackjack than I already am. Oh, sorry. God, we're capping gear here, but I don't think you've really thought it through. But I'll let you finish your thought process this so is, I can this is chuck it in the bin. This is just lost. No, this is not card counting. This is just if you like do can the wee uh the wee tick sheets of like what's the best um thing for blackjack. Like that averages out at about fifty one fifty one point two percent at your win rate. So like. As, as genuinely oh like, not guys, that. he's lost 0.2 percent win rate. Ooh. No, one point two. That's mate. That's where the money is. That's why there's two zeros on a roulette. You pro right. you haven't. The problem it's, is it's true. That is the problem. You margin. haven't scaled up either concept at all. So yeah. you have a 51 percent win rate in iron or whatever the fuck your elo is. Funnily enough, the higher you climb, the lower your win rate will typically get. I.e., yeah. if you play enough games, yeah, you will be rank one a, with a 51% win rate, right? Yeah, the volume of those games, that's yeah. a huge but, volume. But also, 51% is not a good enough win rate for it to be a pro. No. As oh, well. no, 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 no. That's where you're wrong, though. That's where you're wrong. What you no. do is you sign for a team, right? This is the real five head play. You sign for a team, a good team. Everyone knows you're Mr. 51% win rate. And then when you play in a best of five, you're not favored in, sub me in, coach. Statistically, no. this should go in our favor more often than not. No, 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 you no, can no. win worlds off that boy if you're Shit. subbed in at the right time. No, so, can I just say, is that, a true, is, that a, is that a true 51% or is that a holding 51%? For example, when I start losing games, I will start Ooh. like correcting so that I become 51% or is it true 51%? As in, I could just lose consecutive games for my entire life, but my true win rate would be fifty-one percent. They're all the wins Lifetime are just beyond—they're yeah. all just beyond where I'm alive. I mean, you obviously you will not be aware of when it's like when you play your last hand of blackjack. Let's say you're not going to know that, so that obviously that's like the inherent risk on both sides, right? With league, let's just say you're ladder oh, climbing. That oh, would be true, wait, 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 guys. So wait, it's a you true fifty-one percent win rate. Oh, but you, can, you, you, no, no, but you don't realize you could actually find the ticket to immortality this way because if you track your lifetime win percentage and it's not exactly fifty-one percent, yeah. you keep off of that and you can live for as long. You yeah, can live for forever if you never play. Another game there you because go. it's it has to be 51% yeah, in a lifetime. Yeah, you so don't you've, know. Actually, you've, you've given us the chance at immortality for it. You don't okay. you don't know when, you know, as I said, you're gonna play your last game or your last hand of cards or whatever it is, you just don't know. So I, I would I would take the fifty one percent win rate in league because I just I don't play enough league for me to care about that. So yeah. Well, there you go. As I said, I'm definitely taking the league one because, you know, again, I'm a sub. Sub me in when it's a suboptimal series. And statistically, we should win. But the win gambling one is free money. If you bet, if you just like throw a million bets yeah, but... the same value, you're going to get. No, that's not how that works. No, no, no. If it's 51%, you do enough bets of the same value. That's just free money. Yeah, but the yeah, thing you is... you don't know when the wins are going to come. Yeah, you don't, you don't know when... You, the, you, you could lose five bets in a row. You don't have infinite, and money. If you, you don't have infinite if, money. Exactly. But if you put, if you put down like... Kira, it's time bets. to explain double or nothing. You, no, 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 but in this case, in this case, because it's 51%, if you put down like 100,000 bets or whatever, that it will probably come back with a positive, right? You need... You you need to look at toy cost like yeah. situations. No, I, know, not, I, I, not I, I, I have a physics degree. I know what macro states. There are macro states and the micro states, right? But then, like everything will still with like a normal standard deviation 
fucking uh, normal distribution, that's the one. Like, go back towards, like, a slim margin of error. If you, if you have a large enough sample size, it's overwhelmingly likely that you will come back with a positive. But the problem because is... Because in this case, the, the, the odds are never changing on each bet. Yeah, so. Sure. But the, the problem is, though, it's like, you could one year have a 49% rate and then it corrects with like you know 52 but then what's the point in having but this percentage at all no, this is just no, regular gambling <laughs> no but then rich then said you only have to win that doesn't mean each win has to return the same amount yeah, as well. that's what i'm like saying you... if you had the same bet oh. in the same return amount each time then it would yeah as long as you have the same return amount each time. <laughs> i mean obviously <laughs> if you play if you play enough hands then you, yes whatever exactly. if like, you just if you just the scale same, up exact to same whatever. amount you will come you out can go on do top that right now. yeah you can go do but that, that right but that's assuming now. that you have the 51 percent win rate which oh okay with the blackjack thing you're actually you do yeah if you're actually doing with the black but the thing with the blackjack thing is that you have to be there and present for all of them if you then just throw it into something which is just like a click and bat thing and you just do like a million of them then you know, yeah, if you just, just click and bet like a million of them and just bet on every freaking development league across the world for League of Legends or whatever, and it always returns the same amount, um, then you you could... If this isn't true, then why the hell would you have imposed the 51% gambling thing? Because it's completely useless. What you could do is you play up enough hands right until, but you're like down, let's say, at 49%. You're like, fuck it, I'll play a few games of roulette. I'm due some wins to bump me up. And then, you know, you're getting pretty stacked odds, aren't you? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is every person who ever quit gambling quit just before they made a big Exactly. Right? That's, that's Never quit, kids. Never quit. <laughs> Always keep going. If you need to take out a second credit card, third credit card, mum's oh, credit card, do it. I, I fully didn't really want to return it. to stats today. Like, I, I left that life behind me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's move on to uh, some Week of Wedgens and some interesting games this week. Uh, we'll start where both of you obviously, you know, had horror show predictions and your boy obviously called it perfectly. Although I didn't, one, because I got the score wrong and two, because for my prediction to be perfect, BDS now have to beat G2 in a return leg, which is probably not looking super likely, let's <clears> say. <throat> uh, but, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, Kira, what was your take on this series? Uh, for me, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like game one was indicative of where I felt both teams were, which is like BDS aren't really that strong early, but they're really good at fighting. So they were like a bunch of kills ahead, but still at a gold deficit. And G2 were just smarter around the map. But then they just sort of shit the bed entirely. Like that was actually unironically their best showing throughout the series, the first like 20 minutes or whatever of game one. So yeah, what, what did you make of this series? Uh, I don't think they had like... First of all, I don't think they had very good... <laughs> oh... <laughs> I don't think they had very good answers around like G2's like bot prio. Not many teams we've kind of returned to that for playoffs. It wasn't like a big factor in their games during the regular season, but we've now kind of returned to it like mattering a lot in terms of like G2 winning um, uh, early games. I think um, obviously we, we've seen in game three they didn't have like a good answer to the Hui um, uh, Ivern like combination, which looked like super like dangerous and potent. In game one, I think there is a winning line for BDS that involves it's when Adam like dives and bot lane to like caps. I don't. I think if that series of like plays doesn't happen, I think BDS maybe find like a winning line eventually, and you might have seen like a different series. But across the board, like I think Hans Hammer played all Kalissa games. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah against BDS, yeah. Yeah, he played like all Clissa games, and I think Han Sama and Mickey X are just the best like at abusing that champion's like functionality. 
and the rest of like G2's map like players on like the map around the early game are a lot more like consi- a lot more consistent and so I think it's like a lot harder you have to either be like very also very 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 good in the mid game or have like a bot lane that can like contest on pick like you know what I mean like picks of like your choosing um I think the other like part of like concern for uh, me is I don't think I think G2 just stopped banning Darius if I'm correct yeah, the later into the series they did, yeah. I, I, I don't think they, they didn't ban it game two and game three? Was that the other thing? Oh, no, no, it was game two they left it open. Yeah, so they get game two they left it open. And, it, you know what I mean? There was no apathy to seem to, like, go for it. Um, I expected a better showing from, like, B, BDS. I think, you know, on, for example, I think it was Labrov, who, when he was on the, um... It's game two. He was on the Blitzcrank. I wasn't going for as many like plays. I don't know. I'm not so much like choking, but I was like, is G two not presenting the opportunities, or because the camera's not always there, so it's kind of hard to see sometimes, or is Labrov not throwing out because like you know what I mean he's like respectful of G two, or the opportunities just don't show up. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's probably the first time I've ever seen it. Le- regardless of like win or lose, I think this is the first time it's lost. Um, like, it's kind of been somewhat ineffective. Um, well, sorry, Labrov Blitzcrank or Blitzcrank in general? Because No, Labrov Blitzcrank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Labrov Blitzcrank, yeah, yeah. As I mean, in general. So, that's kind of where I was at. I, the crazy thing for me was, I don't even think, like, G2's, apart from Caps, Caps was, like, really, really good, okay? I don't even think G2's top side. I think Yike overall has been G2's, like, best player. And outside the Ivern game, I don't think Yike had, oh no, in the Lilia game, I don't even think that Yike, Yike had like a really good. I wasn't. It was the opening game. I don't even think Yike was like that crazy outside the Lilia game, and the Ivern like pick itself was good, and it still didn't look particularly close. Shield just, you know, what I mean, leaves a lot of holes for BDS. Early, I don't know. Like it looks really hard because I don't know if like BDS are like capped out in terms of like what they can do like right now. Unless like individual players take like more responsibility for like their area of like weakness, but I I don't know they're in the lower bracket. It'll be interesting to see where they come from. I mean, I do think that BDS underperformed. I don't think this was like oh this is their ceiling because I think for example, um, as I said in game one, I actually think until a lot later than the gold graphs or whatever may have shown you, BDS was actually winning this game. And I think that BDS would win this game if Adam doesn't get caught top by caps. And I think Adam made like a couple of mistakes on the rumble where at like really key moments, which were just for him, this split, very uncharacteristic and i don't i don't you know necessarily want to label that as choking or whatever for all i know he got completely trolled by comms because to me if you go back because obviously that was the key moment of game one um if you they had vision on the pit and they see all four players other than caps in the pit and rumble the idea that rumble has to push that wave out as like a priority rather than just like TPing to the fight or just being a little bit safer to me is ridiculous when you can't see caps on the map and you know he's playing his ear you know he can jump the wall like it seems ridiculous because Adam has to go to that fight like he has to lay down rumble ult at some point before the smite fight like that is a no-brainer he has to be there so to me that was a massive fumble in game one um which I just don't understand on any level and I think then it kind of got more difficult from there and BDS got tighter and didn't stop playing as well. But I thought game one was 
kind of like BDS showing their strength in how good they can be in skirmishing, but not really understanding the map as well as G2. But then ultimately, as I said to me, that game came down to that one mistake. Because if Adam is at the Baron pit and lays down a rumble ult and BDS choose to fight there, I think they win. If G2 doesn't pull off the Nash, I think BDS just wins the game. So yeah, I, I find it hard to judge too much beyond beyond that point um, in certain respects. But yeah, Nymera, what did, what did you yeah. make of this one? So I actually think game two is a much more important game to see how G2 dealt with BDS's style that we praised the last time they were chatting about them and how BDS <coughs> kind of ran out of options um, in regards to that too. Because when I framed this matchup before, I said BDS are really good at finding picks through mid lane. They're really good at getting that shallow vision to make sure that they know that they won't be outnumbered when they're going through mid lane and they can just throw numbers into that lane and they can force a winning fight. They're very on the same page and they pick a lot of champions which do that really well. So of course that's stuff like the Blitzcrank, which you know as we've all talked about. You can just walk up and look for hooks. Labob's been very good at landing those, and you can start good fights. Um, and there's a particular play, which I think is really, really good to highlight how G2 um, have kind of stoppered BDS um, before they can kind of explode through mid lane. It's about 17 minutes in into game two, where it's even-ish gold, but you can see that G2, they've used the Cassante flex away from top lane to just have it you know, survive the early game, but then also have the Asuo into a winning side lane matchup later. Don't get me wrong, they, they do end up getting a kill into the Asuo early on, but what you have is two very good side lane champions able to push in side lanes, kind of pin them down, and then make sure that the rest of the team can then kind of like have this um, safety from side lanes to walk up in mid lane. Then you see um, BDS try to walk up into mid lane, have Nuke walk in at the same time as bot lane, so they can try and overload numbers in mid lane, which is typically what they do, right? Nuke will just show up mid lane, when um, the rest of the team is kind of looking for a potential pick there and see if they can get a, get a big playoff. Remember the big Azir quadra he had? That's a similar kind of time where like he just shows up in a lane and overloads numbers. Um, and the Blitzcrank immediately runs into an issue. Where it's like, well, okay, I don't have like a side lane angle threat where like Adam's coming in from a side because he's got a winning side lane because of what's happened in the draft. He's hooking in a Braum, which is not what Blitzcrank wants to be doing. If that's a Milio or a Nami, completely fine. They die for free. But it's the Callista with the Braum. So the support take tanks the hook is completely unkillable. They commit the teleport on top of that anyway, but then Adam's caught out afterwards. And like throughout all of this, you just realize the BDS, they don't have the correct shallow vision to check whether G2 can check them. They don't have like the easy um, enchanter support to hook into the team or something like that. And G2 have done a really good job of kind of being on very snappy reaction times to see what's happening in mid lane. So that play there just immediately, um, it made me quite excited for G2 because that was one of the things which I felt like they weren't doing. I felt like they were playing uh, like in front of their vision rather than playing into their vision, which was like a huge problem against even some moments versus Fnatic and a couple of the games which they had against them, where I was thinking, hey, actually, guys, you're going beyond your vision line. You're dying for it. Against BDS, actually, I thought that they managed to really kind of secure the mid lane setup, both in draft and then in terms of vision two. So um, I think where that comes from is, you know, part of it's in draft from G2. I think BDS kind of failed to have a plan B. I think that they didn't really, particularly in that game two, anyway. I think game one, as you said, it was a bit closer. But in game two, particularly, I was kind of sat there going, well, they're losing in side lanes. They're looking for these kind of snatch and grab plays in mid lane, but they don't have the setup for it. Um, I'm a little bit worried about what happens now if they kind of get don't get that setup again, which is how they've come back into a lot of different games. Where do they go from there? Because we haven't really seen them be pushed to that besides this series. Yeah. Um, right. We will be circling back to. G2 and their uh, potential next opponents. Obviously, BDS uh, will play in the... Yeah, you think... Yeah. 
two, two, two things on this series. One was, right, I, I, I just read in here, supposedly, and I didn't even pick up on this, like, Mick, a, uh, Hats only cast R once in game one on Mick X, by the way, supposedly, right? Second of all, actually. right, <laughs> just, I, I, by the way, I, I've watched, like, I think I've watched that game, like, twice. I never picked up on that. That might not be true. Setting the ball with Nymeera, and this is another example, because I think game two is a good example, because here is my problem. I think Pope Varus is very good. The problem is, is I actually think it's being overbuilt over on-hit Varus, right? Yeah, and this and game I, should 100% be on-hit, you're right. Yeah, yeah in game two in particular, into the Yasuo, um, Brom... Cassante, uh, Cassante. Yeah. I, I, like the scary thing here for me, even if that game like goes well, you allow G two so long to get back into that game, and so much of your damage can just disappear into Cassante yeah. and Yasuo walls. That like that's like quite concerning. That like for me, players like Ice need to start all ADCs need to start identifying when to do it because you're yes. going to create losing games and games that are like one oh, but like this is this has been a continual issue with pros for a while where like so uh, not to make this too much about my main champion but it was a big thing last year when i was talking about ari builds because she's a champion that can't drop damage you need to be very clear about what your role in a game is and what your shit is looking to do you expand that out to most champions and if there is a champion that has multiple roles they can take within a game i think gragas is one of these two in terms of ap and tank builds and then we've got poke and we've got on hits for a couple of different ad carries kaiser has obviously had a million different things to there too I think that some champions you can kind of get away with doing either build because the kit just allows you to do a degree of both and a degree, but it allows you to specialize in one. I think in this game, you're completely right, though. I hadn't focused on that um, in this one. I think overall, BGS were just confused as what they wanted to do yeah, in this that... draft. And like yeah. this Cassante flex into mid lane, I think it completely put like got... Yeah, them. I think. Because they're just it's like, oh, wait, there's another tank. Yeah. And wait, there's Windwall. I just don't think those thought processes happened in the 20 yeah. seconds ticking down before they got to, had to lock in their champions, you know? No, I, I, see, the thing is, is, like, I don't like to focus on it in terms of, like, it lost or, like, won the game. The oh, problem is, 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 like, <laughs> yeah, this whole thing is, is, like, if this was a winning game for BDS, you would actually be giving G2 way more opportunities to, like, turn the background. Sorry, I just wanted to highlight those two things because I just thought yeah. they were funny. Oh, actually, can I just, actually, just, uh, just um, going off of that one thing as well. I actually think in this series as well, this is a, um, so the Gnar, which came out in game two, when they already saw the Cassante from BDS, that's something which we saw from SK as well and a number of other EU teams. It feels like EU's finally caught up to what the LPL and the LCK are doing, which is you lock in the Cassante, Gnar gets slammed in as a counter, and no one in EU is really good enough to, to punish the Gnar side of that matchup as the Cassante, where you see sometimes um, when Gnar's just gone out of Mega, they won't have Mega for another 40 seconds to a minute or something like that. Then you pop Ghost as the Cassante, you try and run them down for a solo kill. Basically in EU, Gnar is an instant win into Cassante. We've seen a relevant dude disgusting things on it. We've seen a lot of other people do that too. <laughs> But G2 have actually gone a step ahead of that now, flex the Cassante into mid lane, and then BDS is that set, they're like, yes, we can finally unlock Adam to be an annoying side lane character on the Gnar, we don't even need one of his specialty picks. But G2 have already kind of planned that out a step ahead, and I think that just added into the confusion of what BDS suffered in, particularly that game too. G2 smashed draft them. Yeah. As we don't know um, who G2's next opponents obviously will be in the final, let's just briefly talk about if... Do you guys think it's possible that bds could come back into another best of five and do something against uh, g2 or do you feel like the golfs are a little bit too big to close? no because i've seen g2's floor so many times and like bo random bo5 i can never like when g2 are the best eu team that no one can beat them i bet what version of g2 like shows up i've seen them lose 
almost lose to like XL, and I think this BDS mm. team is probably a bit better than that like XL team. I think I've seen them lose to like Mad Lions, and I think they're probably a bit better than that Mad Lion Mad Lions team. Probably less meta dependent. That's how yeah. low than that Mad Lions team and G two almost found losing lines against both of them, but they also, in other spaces, dominate, like, dominated their fucking asses off in other sessions. So well, game one versus Fnatic was despicable. That was just... So, it really depends for me. I think one of the big highlights, though, to the thing is, Caps has, like, played himself into, like, the best form he's been in in, like, recent memory for yeah. the probably about a year and a half. Closer to two, almost. Yeah, I was going to He's, say playing, more, he's play, so, playing, like, very, very, very good... Um, and that's like a really scary space to be in because prob like one of the best like winning lines was like Abadagi could like play a zero and split um split against caps and that isn't really as open to you anymore. That's not really as a viable like tactic for like teams in the rest of the league. So if if you know if G2 have a mayor, I think BDS does have positives about them that will allow them to like win. I just think if a good or the best version of G2 like shows up, it will just be scorched earth. Yeah, yeah. I think like G2 have to lose their minds in draft somehow for BDS to come back into it because they've shown answers to some of the more cha annoying champions that Adam can use in top lane, which then hides BDS's side lane worries, which is one of the things they've done. Adam just gets an annoying as heck champion and just you don't need to worry about side lanes anymore. I think they've got answers to Labrov's kind of pick supports in support by picking stuff like the Callista Braum. I think Callista should never be allowed against them like in the next series. That's going to be a permanent ban. I'm surprised it wasn't later into the series as well. Um, but that's already two parts of the BDS style right now, which is kind of like Labrov playing very, very well around like the hook champions in, the, in, in support role. They've been nullified somewhat. Adam needs to start doing his own work in topside as well to reopen his topside because it feels like G2 have like stumped them strategically. And now BDS needs to, in a very short space of time, figure out a way to kind of get add more strings to their bow. Otherwise, G2, they've shown a formula which works against them very well right now. Yeah, I also don't think like all five members or, some, or something were playing at a super high level for their own level on G2. It was kind of like not close while no one was really popping off outside of caps. Um, so yeah, that would that Hans would had be. A good series. I think I think Hans had a really good series. Yeah, like yeah, it I might guess. not have been the most. It might not have been the most flashy, but like the dude was super hard to reach, super dominant, played well with the team, was never caught out of position really. So sure, pretty good actually. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone played badly on G two. Yeah. I just don't think it was like holy moly, this is the ultimate rendition of G two, and it was a fairly easy. Uh, they also perma band driven. That's the other like part of like that BDS opted for a complete like perma banning of the Draven, and like that was something XL was when they attempted to beat G two they had to decide on. Now the Brom Cogmaw was like a pick at that period. It's like do you in an attempt to beat G two, do you drop the Draven ban and say play it to G two and hope you can beat that and you get a ban somewhere else? You know what I mean? Because if you beat you that break Draven, one of the power picks, yeah. Yeah, you've got to break a power pick now for like G two. You have to find a winning line against one of these power picks because if you do, if they, the scary thing for BDS is, I think if they come in and they attack this game with the same strategy, at, outside like G two running it into the ground, I don't think there is a winning line. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Time for a quick couple of eulogies as we have had to say goodbye to a couple of teams. Let's talk first briefly about Heretics who. A lot of people had, you know, relatively high on their tier list or, you know, with hopes and aspirations. I think none of us did. I could be wrong. I think I had them eighth. 
I think we all had them seventh, eighth. Actually. Yeah. yeah. So seventh or eighth or my caveat again, because you know my tier list was for the whole year, uh, sort of you know who if you were to order people after summer, how would you order the teams? But I did think winter would be their best chance. So for me, this was quite disturbing. Um, they looked really bad, like really, really bad, and you would struggle to come up with any particularly redeeming uh nice things to say outside of wonder looked okay and irrelevant yeah wonder looked okay and uh kaiser this split has looked better i guess than like the last not I mean, consider even, considering not how bad kaiser was this is still yeah. a good split from oh, sorry. recent years yeah yeah so um exactly he's not hillisang uh, which it, I'm yeah. sure we'll touch on. So yeah, I've, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what to say. Again, I would just say, and this isn't hindsighting. Like to me, all the people who are like, oh, it's G two two point zero. Like when did most of these players actually last look good outside of Yankos? Like I really don't feel. And Flax, you know, fine, whatever. But good last year. Yeah. Um, I just I never saw the angle. But as we spoke about before, we thought we'd, they'd catch a lot of fumbles. We thought they'd just be more experienced, probably smarter, probably get the new map changes quicker than other teams. They look like they have no fucking identity at all. So, yeah, Nymera, what do you make of the collapse of uh, Heretics? Um, I think we saw something that we all... The writing was on the wall for this one in regards to... There is no real first, first person in line saying, I'm putting up my hand and I'll be the carry. Um, uh, you know, you could argue that in earlier weeks of, of this split, it was perks for a little while. We had some moments where Flack had managed to pop off, but I don't even think that was him playing super aggressively and getting lots of resources. And I think the game one that we saw them win against SK was already a game where SK probably should have yes. closed that out as well. I mean, as much as they fought that back, the team ident the team comp identities of both of them is four incredibly good champions against low range comp low range compositions against the low range composition of all time with like Zach jumping into and everything like that. As soon as they lose one team fight and they don't have the goal to one shot you on the engage, that game is over and it was still pretty close. So that one was whatever. And I, I feel like this team just like is slowly dying in pretty much every game, which I see from them. Are they going to make like the one game disastrous move all the time no not always i just feel like they are there whenever i see them i never feel like they are making the most valuable move on the map and that's quite quite a quite bad thing but when you consider it's quite a bad thing when you consider particularly that you know one of the things which i was going to praise from them at the start of the split is well you know you have perks who is the eu strategist really and even when teams have gone gone down the shitter a bit he's tried to pull some smoke and mirrors and they'd, they'd have some plan in place but it'd be poorly executed or something like that i don't even see what the plan is most of the time with this team um I'm trying to think if there's any like particular serial offender. I, I guess it's perks in the mid lane really just not getting value and particularly getting caught out of position in certain games. I, yeah, game one in that series, again, is the Azir versus super low range comp did really, really well for putting out damage. But like, I just, I just think that we keep returning to this one point where no one is really the person who you point a finger at and say, you are the person on the, that will carry this team to victory. It's a whole lot of people playing Black a role tries. for... He he does to an extent, but like but I don't think they're like... exploding. I don't think yeah. they're particularly. I don't think they're particularly exploding through bot lane either. Though, no, they're not. But like I don't think the, the team. I don't think the team like plays in such a way where like exploding through bot lane is as an option. Put it this way, right? I, I think Heretic. No, it's really interesting, Rich and Naimia. This is how you can mm -hmm. tell like coaching, like uh, 
thing around coaching are just absolute bullshit narratives, right? Okay, because under what like premise of like these players on the outset would like Peter Dunn not? Be- I don't want people to flame him. I don't want people to flame him. But how would they not be getting flamed for this? Like, because the team is shambolic. Now, I don't think you should flame Peter Dunn, but for every the standard that we seem to hold for all these other like coaches and all these other people in the league. He doesn't seem to get blamed for it, which which is the part that I agree. I just want to extend that to yes, uh, so every many coach. People, yeah. yeah, I just want to be able to extend that to all coaches rather than just like the select committee. Because what I can because the whole thing of like if you were to describe a team right that doesn't look well coached, what we, people talk, other people talk about not looking well coached and like not having an identity, every team heretics. Team heretics look trash at so many facets of the game they've got the same problem Fnatic had when they were in the upset humanoid thing with Yamato before playoffs, they're good at nothing they're actually good at nothing they don't do anything it's so it's awful and the thing was is like, I, I remember I stood up slightly for like Yankos right and even Yankos sent it even further down into the hell pits, even he got like his uh, ideas been, are like he's been bad yeah, this place. yeah yeah he's, he's been bad he's been he's, been, yep. he's just got worse and what like the it was like a progression of like each set time he was playing i was like oh my god i was like why did i even speak out i was like i don't even think the champions are, are like yankos champions anyway you know like i don't think you want yeah yankos is not necessarily going to be the ap farming carry jungler meta guy but you put him on stuff that can impact the game early you know jarvin's in meta you can play shinzao i think put a lot of for him yeah and like these are champions of the game yeah this this sounds like stuff that yankos should be able to make gameplay changing plays on early or at least be able to control the enemy jungler in fact one of the, the best ways to play the game right now is your jungler battle warding into the enemy jungle to track and control where they can pass so your winning lanes can stay winning um i don't i don't think yankos really ever got a foothold in this jungle meta either which is not something which i would have expected of him no like I, I, this is one of the first I, I, I don't even mean to say this because i don't want to attribute things to people but this, I, this is like one of the first times i've ever seen like yankos have like the the rookie thing of like he looks like lost in like game states like where he doesn't know what like what like you know what i mean like chaining like yeah. game section to section now that that might not be the sense or that might not be that might be like a team thing because you know what i mean like jungler is very very team coherent i think it's like a very grandiose thing for me to say that like yankos doesn't know what he's like doing mm. I, I think the idea is he would i think the, t- the team is struggling to like use jungle and use the they don't even know like when they can be like doing things like you know what i mean like the prio to they go in get a ward down to then pre-prep for a blue buff on a stronger back like they are very very like like stale and they're they're very stale and slow in the way that i thought they would be i just thought at like the other things would be like better like objective setups they're like hesitation and in terms of like when to like pull the trigger and stuff objectives is like awful and like another like another thing that's like I didn't expect, but it just keeps on happening, and I, I hate to like highlight it, but it is crippling in pro play. Is when you like put people like perks onto like fundamental like resource heavy like picks, for example, um, a Tristana and a Zier, and they just randomly like die from like miss micro, miss positions, bad resets, greed resets. Like in the modern like conception of League of Legends, you have to be playing like a very bad team for those things like not to matter. And a lot of the teams will like punish you like quite heavily for it. And it's just happening like too regularly. Um, and even th- for the crazy thing was, in this series, Irrelevant was actually a worse version of himself. He was still like pretty good. He wasn't like the monster he, he was. He, he was in like the next again series. 
and it still didn't even look remotely close. Like, there was a version of this where Irrelevant is Wonder's dad as well. He, yeah. like, adopts Wonder as his son, right? And he just, the full fucking map from top to bottom is just like a shit show. Yeah, and I think, you know, Wonder had pretty good team fights, yeah. but I think that, um, I think a lot of this encapsulates the fact that because you're lacking an identity, you're lacking real direction to go in mid-games and stuff. When you have, actually, I'm going to say, I think the, the pick of the moment to watch how teams play through sidelines and then transition that into team fights is NAR. I think that NAR is a great pick to see this because you have very clear windows where you want to be playing around in terms of your mini-NAR mini -NAR for bullying sidelines, mega-NAR for going into the team fights. Um, I don't think they knew how to play against Irrelevant when you got the huge leads on stuff like like the Nara in game two, he got some leads there at that point. And no, it wasn't game breaking, but it was the kind of thing where they were giving up more value than they should have done, and that gave them less options to play the team fights in. And then when none Wonder had the Nara, he fell behind the Malphite. And then you kind of sat there going, Well, you're not gonna be, be able to abuse this either. And then suddenly they have the easier team fighting option. Um it feels like it's a very kind of I'm not even gonna call it autopilot. I'm just I just don't really know who's at the wheel for for, for, for them really. I mean, it was a 2k, I didn't even realise it was a 2k goals advantage at 15 for a relevant on the NAR. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh yeah, yeah, because, yeah. And he, I was trying to remember if it was the game versus, because it was it was in the games versus Fnatic as well, he got some, like, huge leads. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just look at his NAR and I'm just like, look, folks, NAR is, like, the pick to understand if your team knows how to play around sidelines right now. Because NAR is, like, he's a team fighter, he's got strong laning phase, but, like, he is a sidelane threat right now. And if you get six grubs with a NAR, because he's a ranged champion that can also bully out tanks and play for tank playstyle as well. Like, he will end the game with six um, grubs, by the way. So for me, like, NAR is a huge point, and that's why I mentioned it about G2 in regards to BDS earlier as well, where actually they took the Cassante out of that lane and they had a better matchup into it. That's really important, because if EU starts realizing that this pick is, whether in scrims or whatever, if this is the pick of the moment, you have to understand all of the matchups and how you can abuse it. And this just felt like, ah, oh, we'll just go for the NAR, and they didn't know how to play against it in the terms of irrelevant, and they didn't really know how to utilize it in the case of Wondering Game 3, and it just didn't achieve that much. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, despite uh, Wonder being the uh, adopted son of Irrelevant, I do think that the one positive I would kind of say for Heretics is that Wonder doesn't look totally washed, which he could have His done. Like, were really good. I wouldn't have been good. surprised this split if Wonder had looked really washed. Like, I wouldn't have been, with based on recent splits, tra possible trajectory, etc. Like, I wouldn't have been amazed. But he doesn't. He looks decent but i think irrelevant is the best top in the league and obviously that's a rough one for him yeah go on Garrett. big one here this is interesting cause i think dogging on heretics is like whatever Fun, like deserved. point out about nah like like talking about dog shit teams in league of legends is like so like unfun because it's like there's only so many ways you can say someone's like bad and diagnosing like why someone's bad is like god this is awkward like... we're talking about giant x in a couple of minutes but go on yeah, like I'm gonna have so much less, like less to say about them as well for like their unique, like I've got badness. Some don't, don't, I'll, I got you no, covered. No. I got stuff. <laughs> XK like not having like the like uh, Nesky not having like the karma pick, perma banning it. Um, you know what I mean? Like that's like a big one. You know what I mean? Um, that I was surprised about. Also, like Team Heretics like perma banning like Jax and then Rumble, then dropping the Rumble ban and then then rebanning it in the next phase. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that's we are we are genuinely cooking now, boys. We are tier two cooking. Like, what have I just watched? Like, I, you, you, there is like a line to it. It's just so funny to watch when like uh, teams do that, and like you still end up in the exact same fucking position as you were in before. So, I don't know. I, I don't even think SK Gaming had to do anything that impressive. 
to beat Hannah which is the fucking, which is the really tragic part. I mean, S- yeah, SK looked kind of horrible to me as yeah, well. Yeah, they didn't even they were... look good. They yeah, didn't uh... even look good. Anyway, yeah, let's uh, briefly talk about Giant X, because obviously they're the other team we're saying uh, Tara to uh, this week. They got fucking annihilated versus Mad and looked absolutely awful. Um not too much to say really other than like from from an outsider perspective like i do feel that peach is a complete criminal um and i'm not really sure how this team is meant to like regroup and refunction because the you know it almost feels a little bit like k corp in the sense that you like look at the pieces and how they're meant to interact with each other and you're just like how could this ever work why would this ever work and the only logic i think that i see in terms of like why the team looks as it looks is because of spring last spring when obviously giant x um or sorry summer um when giant x like kind of got their shit together and did well but even then we were all saying like these are the problems with the team and you know like not that much has changed from peach's side and i don't want to just uh go on like super hard on peach because i think a lot of people have underperformed i think otto's underperformed i think um Patrick actually started the split quite well and then hasn't been as good. I think ignoring a lot yeah, of it's games. Not as bad as his previous winter. No, no, exactly. He dodged yeah. full he dodged full Patrick winter split. I do not know how to lane or play League of Legends, but yeah, after a promising start went a bit off. Ignor, I feel, has been pretty ineffective uh in in a lot of games. And Jackie's like he's the one I would obviously get after the least because he's a rookie and he's shown glimpses. But obviously, this Grim Jackies, I'm still waiting to see him. Let's put it that way, because, you know, he's he's not one of the better mids so far, let's say. So, yeah, Nymera, quick thoughts on, on Giant X. Game 1's draft is an absolute disgrace. Oh, I forgot about that, yes. That's one yeah. thing we have to mention. Like, yes. um, first By the way, the sorry, series... very, sorry to interrupt, very quickly... That they have been responsible for a lot of super fucking dodgy drafts, by the way. Like recently, and also at the back end of like when they um played G two in the the final final and uh, a couple of series in like the summer playoffs thing. Like their drafts have just fallen off a fucking cliff. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. So Sorry, go I, on. I remember when we were talk when we were talking in kind of preview of this matchup. Um, the two factors which I put against the two teams were. Um, Giant X are really bad at recognizing and adapting to weird shit. They don't really know their own team composition and how it interacts with the enemy one. You know, they got they got hands in the right roles. They can they can potentially, you know, play out some good mechanical situations. But I don't really feel like they understand what the compositions are doing on the rift. Um, but the positive for them is, oh well, at least Frescovy looks fairly exploitable. This guy looks, you know, weak at various points in the game. So why the hell Crash. have you given given Frescovy the one pick in mid lane, which completely removes your laning phase. Karma is the silver bullet for Mad Lions in the in the, in for Mad Koi in this in this series because one, it enables weird shit because they have the center and the karma, which are double heals and shields, which is really really annoying. That's already really bad, and you don't get to exploit Frescovy because the pick is so goddamn powerful. I have no idea how that alone gets through. But then you've also got Cassanti on one of his worst matchups. You have yep. an Azir and a um, Misfortune that can't disengage the Vi because he just clicks ult on one it of your carries. can't damage the fucking Gwen. So, and, so, and the Gwen presses W even if you ult over it with, you know, with your various combos. That's awful enough. You're really just hoping that Eloy and Alvaro 
dive in too deeply and you can pick them off, which is a slim hope given that they have the double heals and shields before them. So game one, I think I can forgive a little bit of bad prep coming into game one. This was an absolute nightmare, though. This is one of the worst game one drafts that I've seen in the series. So that was really quite concerning. Second game, I I think the draft is playable at least. You know, I don't think you've got you know, as many particular, like, unplayable matchups and stuff. That's where the gameplay obviously comes in more into it. But even then, you've got, you know... I think Odo had a bit of a shocker versus Merwin in the top side. That Akali started really popping the rumble. It can be a hard matchup, and it can definitely snowball. I don't think Peach did much to particularly help what was happening in top side as well. And Merwin also, just on the whole, had a really good set of side steps and um, managed to survive some weak side situations. But, like, particularly that game one, I... I have no idea how that comes to be. Sure, you know, we don't get to hear the internal comms. We don't get to hear what's happening with the players calling for certain picks. But this was my worry when we started talking about Giant X, thinking, well, do they understand the compositions that they're playing rather than just the champion that they're playing? And I thought we really saw a huge lack of overall holistic understanding of what was happening in the game in these games. No, I thought, yeah, I thought they were... I mean, we talk about teams, like, lacking identity and so on as well. Like, I didn't feel there was a clear... The way they picked made me just think, oh, these are individual picks that have worked well, like in scrims or something. And they're trying to like accumulate as many of them as possible to have like scream comfort Exodia or something, but not actually drafting against the enemy team or what they're doing or what they should be forecasting that they're going to do, um, which resulted in a literal perfect game in game one if we exclude like the one tower or whatever the fuck like GX got on the other side. And then from that point onwards, I feel like it is... It is quite hard to mentally recover from a beating like that in a best of three. Like, ironically, you'd have better chance in a best of five, right? Because, you know, there's more chances to sort of reset completely jig draft. Like, to get punched in the face like that in game one, like, I think their odds of winning the series at that point, if you'd look them up, were probably pretty fucking slim. Uh, but yeah, Kira, any, any final words for Giant X before we bid them goodbye? Peach is pretty garbage. Don't know, like... He was actually fine during regular season, actually. That's a crazy thing, but, like, this was, like, a descent into, like, madness. I've not been able to even evaluate, like, slim win conditions. Um, I think if you let... If you lose game one in that manner, let, running, letting two Senna games get run back-to-back, -back, yep. pretty, that's pretty bold. Like, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's bold as... I'd call that that as that that some bold thinking. I think letting the karma karma through without an actual like uh, a prep, you know what I mean? Like an actual answer uh, to it. Yeah, an actual answer to it. I think that that, I, that forget bold. I think that's a mistake. Don't know. I don't know what like you know. The problem is, it's like the, one of the really good answers to karma is Vi, and they've got that as well on their draft so yeah because it's like it's all well and good having the heels and shields but like if the one target is pinned there for three seconds and yeah. dies yeah no, the unconditional engage yeah like unconditional engage and like large single target or like long range like burst it can be like the death of like karma i don't know like i think game one was diagnosed quite well it's probably one of the like most unplayable drafts mm. in the history of modern lec in terms of like it's the most unplayable draft I've seen this year. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Game two, I think this was just some like lane. The a, a couple of like the lanes that like weren't allowed to like blow up 
just kind of like got too far ahead. I even like like the idea, the the the, the concept of like Giant X's draft. It's not it's it's like a BDS draft, but uh, instead of like a control mage in the mid lane, Jackie's is on another poke champ. Where what you're trying to do is like time a bunch of abilities to create like a three v two, four v two, uh, so uh five v two five v three example you know you use like uh the ginning gin alt which would some most likely usually be the varus but because it's been self-banned and you then use like the rumble alt and you try and like coordinate that in with a bunch of damage with the rail going in to try and like pop key squishy targets problem is is you have like a frontliner who like that can be ineffectual against in the situani Who's like, like going to be able to like face check and like allow the team like movement into like key objective, and also two very slippery um, uh, carries, both of who who do not need to be in the same pocket. This is a very key concept for wombo combo comps. Wombo combos are really really good when your backline is like Azir and Varus who play in the same pocket as each other and usually yes. hold and kite back together. When you have like an assassin and an ADC who then play in separate pockets, when you drop all of your damage, let's say you do it to just kill the Assassin or the ADC, you, you sometimes gas out, and you end up not having enough damage in the post-fight, even though it looks great for the one kill. Funnily enough, there's a point in that which relates to Giant X in terms of their understanding of the pocket as well, because I remember, again, it's pretty topical for me, the RE game which Jackie's played against G2, there was a fundamental misunderstanding of how to play pockets there too, because he, again, had a traditional AD carry, he was the RE, Ari never wants to be stood next to the enemy cat to your carry because you should never be in the same pocket. You're doing different things from different yes. angles. Um, stuff like LeBlanc or Zoe, typically good indicators of this too. It's a little bit different if you have something like, you know, the Azir or the Oriana, which are kind of clumping up, kind of baiting you into engaging into you and then kind of playing around that. But if you don't understand these kind of pockets, then your team fighting is obviously not at the right level. You don't understand the terrain that you're going to be playing around, the arrangements of your people. And it's really funny because you actually see like Vito and Carter, even though they lose, right? They actually understand oh, this concept. That, yeah. They understand understand this concept like very well, but though the end result is the same. The thing is, is like Giant X. We are now this many games into the split, and you know, what I mean, that we are like still working on like that as like a concept, and that's like really worrying because like that. That that's going to sound really hypercritical, but it is. That's like a solo queue like thing in terms of like who you can and can't like stand next to. Like on terms of like basics, and so it, it can be like really, it can be like really, it can be really difficult. Um, that's kind of like what I like see. I think any team group of players would have struggled to have won with the way Peach was playing. I don't think the drafts were like great. So, also, dogging on it I don't think that. Ignar had a great series either. I like. Yeah, I, think, exactly. I think Jackie's was. What what do you expect him to do? I think it was fine. I think Odo getting solo kill in top lane a bunch of times not great. Ignar was typically one of the people starting the bad fights when his team were not in the right position and just engaging into a brawn with a load of carries behind him. It's not really what you want to do. Just this, this team had an awful lot of things which it's they like just the didn't I've get in line with their team fight prep. But the other thing is, it's like the worst I've seen them. Like, I yeah. thought they were way worse there than they were against G2, and G2 is much better. But that's why I thought opponent. they might struggle versus Mad, because they're the weird shit team, and Giant X don't really have the basic fundamentals to adapt those fundamentals when they face up against weird stuff. You know, when it is stuff like the center without the time tension, it's the center Nautilus and the center Braum, and it's the Karma in lane as well. The Akali top lane, which not everyone plays. Like, they play around different spacing in team fights and different angles in team fights, you know, because Akali is actually a flank assassin from top lane. You don't always see that. Um, when you've 
got the brawn with hyper amounts of gold at points. Actually, was this the farming brawn? It might not have been, so maybe maybe ignore that. Yeah, I mean, this was this was the still just like a regular brawn. But even then, with the center heals and shields too, like it's a different kind of like level of tankiness on the brawn. Um, that's the kind of understanding which I kind of red flagged a little bit from regular split, where I feel like if it goes to a less conventional game. I have much less faith in how Giant X will perform. I guess the only counter to that would be that, of course, uh, Giant X did beat Mad when Mad played the fiddle. Um, oh, that's true. That is a good point. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, this was just absolutely. Disastrous. Even for that, on, on that point, Wretches, and, and this is my belief, I think G Ma Giant X didn't beat that comp. I think Mad Lions critically like, lost it. That was like where Mad Lions' like, own you know, thing. But bit them in the ass because they tried to play something that was probably like too complex for their level of coordination like at that time and they fucked it up for themselves uh just like yeah, to like go into that like point there, well i i do feel like that the vision control around the fiddlesticks was actually pretty good so i'm you know i'm not going to yeah, take away all not, not take away all the yeah, stuff that's but a like, i think there was like, a winning line there yeah, as well that's 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 a yeah that's a mitigating factor the problem for me is like super and alvaro fell super far behind in that game yeah, i'm true. now very interested to see what happens against tougher opponents for mad what happens when they fall yeah. behind? Because they've not looked good at that point. Yeah. Um, right. Let's now talk about vitality. Uh, something that, you know... Do we I, have to? Yeah, we, we do. I mean... I think it'll be fun. I, how many how many tweets are enough? The, the answer is never enough. And we're going to talk about it more on this podcast. Because obviously, you know, it goes without saying. For anyone who didn't see the games, um, Hillisang is a convicted match fixer he's not but he played like one uh and yeah this was it's at, to me it is actually again like it's very easy to be hyperbolic about things and players and situations and so on mm. to me it is kind of incredible that vitality won a series and then actually looked somewhat competitive at stages in this last series with someone who is playing in the way that Hillisang is playing in the support position. And I did feel like, because again, not just to make it all about, you know, Hillisang or whatever, but they missed a window where I actually felt VTO was playing incredibly well. And this is a guy who can be very up and down, if you like. Like, he can just sometimes be super ineffective and, you know, just gets very lane-centric, but he's not actually laning well. When I say lane-centric, I just mean doesn't leave his fucking lane and can't impact the map at all and he's playing picks he shouldn't be playing he's playing fucking Zerath or some bullshit versus when he gets in the zone and he is on an Akali or he is on something that he feels comfortable on and he's actually now starting to move around and understand side lanes more he's... and affect the map and he this guy was trying so fucking hard to win the games um you've also got Kazi of course who ultimately did you know have some faux pas in this series and didn't have his best series but what the hell do you want from him like what do you actually want from him in this series so i actually felt that they had um enough going in their favor to be a competitive team in playoffs in general like if you literally remove the random your support randomly getting killed over horrible timings around river before drakes and uh nashes and so on then this is actually a competitive team like you you see a vitality playing a fanatic or whatever and you don't know who's going to win that series maybe like wouldn't be surprised if vitality won but the crutches are what the crutches are so kira give me your thoughts on vitality Okay, so I'll do, I'm going to do like the rundown and talk about it. Okay, so like, problem is, Photon just not the player that like we need him to be in terms of like a carry top laner. Like, I think all, putting all the blame onto someone else, that we're going to come to in a minute, right? Okay, uh, 
is like not that like interesting. We're like when we can talk about other players as well. Now that is not the singular biggest factor that is leading to a game. Didn't like his action. Didn't like that bad boy. No, I, I like action as like a pick. I like, like the theory, the idea of like the. And that pick. comp was actually okay. Yeah. Yeah, but like then cool. I actually see it played, and I'm just like. Okay, maybe like let that one rest for like longer. The thing is, is we always say why do pro pro teams like not pick things that they're like, they're not maybe like really good on, and then they do it, and then everyone like criticizes them openly and being like, yeah, that pick was fucking dog shit. My dog wouldn't eat that. It's like, well, yeah. Now you know why they don't like do this. But I, I, I for me, I'm different. I appreciate the attempt. You know, what I mean, it just looked like it needed a little bit more uh, refinement, particularly around like laning. Um, and this is another thing, jungle. <clears throat> I think Douglas has the same problem Yankos does. He's just on like a better team. We're like connecting consecutive like plays um, or like the tempo of like the map. I think he's like really far behind. I think he really struggles with the engage. I think with Hellasang being so poor, he really struggles with being primary and follow up engage. I think he's torn between like two worlds. I think it would be really really hard to play jungle in this team. Um, to get to that, I actually agree with Veteran here. He tweeted Veteran. He tweeted about it. I actually think this is the best video in terms of like overall like game yeah. that we've ever like seen. This is the best video has ever been in terms of like he moves to size, he moves yeah. to like objective, yeah. like he understands like like it's not he when he is like getting laser, he's playing out fights. He is being like proactive. Where on his like MVP split, it'd be like. He would be on like the, the scaling game would fall into him. Yeah, the game would yeah. like fall into him, and yeah, it's impressive that he would like execute into the fallen. But now, a, a pr the proactive version, I, for me, I think it's so much more better. I think it's like laning is way less of a hindrance. I can't even just say it's bad in terms of like it, it's bad in the sense of like he is not maxing what he could like do with it still. But it's good in the sense of like he isn't like a crutch in terms of like dragging yeah. his jungler into a resource like black hole. I think Karze is still very, very, very good. Not as like mechanically like clean probably this series as he probably could have been. There were some like errors, particularly um into the Talia coming coming over the wall into his like pocket. He didn't see the stun at his feet. This is like a big thing about ADCs in StarCraft. It's called screens, uh, where you hold your actual like uh screen. Um, isn't actually always where your like champion is. But sometimes it is. So Reckless, I'll just give it a couple of examples. Reckless is a, a solid screen player. Reckless sets his camera on one place and he yep. plays the entire game in that place. And then he, when needs to, moves it to another place and he plays the entire game and he barely moves his monitor. All it does is it as a frame of reference for where he's going to, like, that box is his arena, right? Yeah. Some ADCs do not do that. Their ADC is at the very corner of the screen and it's like a view out of like the corner um ADC, so some ADC that, screen yeah like general screen like that type of thing um i don't know i can't remember i used to know like what cards like pov was i would have i would have it like written down somewhere in an excel sheet i can't remember what it is we don't have them now but that looked like a one of the general things where he can't see the cc oh, by the way, it's actually like, not uncommon for ad carries in particular to have locked screen just because once you get into team fights locked screen um so 
bit of a kind of like a, a different concept, but in a lot of traditional sports. So I used to do fencing, and this is kind of like another thing in regards to of course when you, you are moving. Yeah, I was good at it. I qualified for the British Youth Nationals three years in a row. I was fucking good at it. But if you if you if you move your head around too much in traditional sports, what happens to those other three participants? I oh, sorry, go on, I stabbed them. That's what. I, I, um, but um, yeah, so when you move around like your your point of reference, your point of uh, perspective, uh, you're less accurate. You tend to lose more information because things are more chaotic on the screen. Now, in League of Legends, you have to keep having constant um, input. That's completely true. But when you're in a fight, it is completely fine to lock screen. So one of so you just have a fixed point of perspective, and it helps your accuracy and position go up in a lot of different um, ways. So yeah, some AD carries do that. Just out of reference. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I, I see them getting clipped by like KCCs that you know is like you know you've got you've got to dodge those if you want a winning chance. You don't dodge them, you die. Right. <clears throat> We all want to talk about him, right? Hellasang is like the most disgustingly uncarryable player, probably in the at this moment in time in the history of like the LEC. As in, Maorang and Dejor and Bad Nuck were more carryable than this decade. This person is an Omega cunt. As in, like he, it is not that he is bad. There are unique ways in being bad. There are bad. Dog shits that you can hide under your bed so that you might they may not be smelled by your mum when she comes into a room. Hellasang is a steaming pile of dog shit that your bed sits upon that is so fucking large you actually cannot reach into your bed because you must climb through the mire of dog shit to reach your bed. That is how bad he is. Nice. He is unfucking like scrutinably terrible. With that set game was probably one of the most sent games of League of Legends in the history of like, e, of like EU, of like one person just did not give a fuck about what, what his teammates were like doing and he was just going to send in different scenarios. It was like so... Because usually how a sang is, is like you can defend the... Because you see the quality of the engage that it's like, oh, if his teammates went forward with him, that it's like a salvageable position here. Yeah. That wasn't that. These were so... Terrible. Plus, his laning is like his management of just his basic fucking health bar and lane is so bad for like in terms of like modern league. It's like cripplingly terrible. By the way, I can't handle it. Se like he played, he played the two champions, which in different ways have like the most survivability in League of Legends, like period, outside of like fucking Trindamir or something, right? Like set can do unreasonably bad engages and then just use his fucking uppercut, whatever the fuck it's called, and get a trillion health back. Like Haymaker. this guy, Haymaker, that's it. He can get, like he can survive for unreasonably long in so many bad situations and get out. He's like one of the most irritating. It's like a cled or something, right? Where you're like, how the fuck is this guy not dead? Why does he keep escaping with whatever? And it turned out that he wasn't even that close to death because his cooldown's up again. And actually, if you caught him again, yeah. he'll probably survive. Like that is such an easy champion to, I don't know, not die 10 times on, right? And then he plays Rakan, which has the most escape tools in the entire game, right? You get W, you get two procs of E, and obviously he's running fucking Flash and whatever as well. Like, come on, man. And of course, and, and, for people who don't know, Rakan usually builds a lot of fucking movement speed as well. And maybe he has Shirelias. Like, and, it's just unbelievable what this guy is doing, by the way. It's incredible. Sorry, Gogira. No, no, just before it, I'll let Nymeera come in with the haymakers, right, okay? And uh, and his oh, fencing sword, in the other hand. Um, it's called an epe. I use epe. an epe. <laughs> I, I, I would use an S-stock myself, anyway. Um, what do you call it? Uh, 
the the big thing for like Hellasang, and, and this is a small defense of like the picks, those picks when you're behind are just like they can be That's just like chain yeah, yeah, they can be like chain death like picks, okay? But there's like chain death picks in terms of like the, I can be, I can excuse it because I can see what the attempt was, but these were so bad. They were so fucking criminal. But also shit. it was like bing it was like bingo for how many ways to like be bad as well. Because on the set thing, he was just like inexplicably jumping in when he shouldn't have been and like misjudging the situation entirely. Whatever, just like bad plays, bad judgment, whatever. Rakan jesus wept hit a w dude like why can you he he couldn't hit anything in he such randomly... a squishy game too actually like you can't yeah. target probably dead so yeah he randomly like procked ult like when they were in mid lane and he was literally like two oh, screens away that. from the yeah. nearest player like this guy was finding new ways to be bad at these champions it was really fucking incredible so like i just want to dispel this narrative of like he he hilly oh sometimes maybe good sometimes maybe bad like no this is that's hilly from like years ago at this point and also i do think historically there are arguments to be made that if we went back retrospectively and looked at some of the times where he had like a bad hilly game some of those games probably were unironically teammates like not doing what they should have been like remember he played this isn't you know shade but he played with reckless for example who could have been conservative at times let's say to follow up on hilly's like legitimately good engages and so on like i think there probably are examples where we've been too harsh on hilly in that sense to <laughs> that day is not this day that day is not this day but yeah sorry go on Nymera. yeah so i think um you know on the whole this series was awful from hilly there are one or two mitigating factors which i'm gonna throw in there not not too much again like this is not like taking off like 40 percent of the blame whatever it's just a couple of percentage um for game one of this series against MAD, um, largely the team comps went down to if all 10 champions are on screen at the same time, Vitality wins in the 5v5. And that's kind of what we saw early into the game. And I think Photon on the Gwen was really threatening. You know, you had Vito who was going in for some big assassinations. Kazi had some moments on the, um, uh, on the Varus as well. So that's obviously a big thing going for them. But MAD had an awful lot of, like, smoke and mirrors, like the TF ult from top lane. They have, you know, the ability for the center ult to go across the map. They have the Vi point and click engage to catch them out of position. You've got the Celia wall as well. So largely the identities are not... It does oversimplify it a little bit, but it's largely... Um, MAD having ways to stop giving a fair fight, whereas Vitality, if they are given a fair fight, tend to win. So there were some points. There is a point at just before 20 minutes, Hilly dies, but he blows a TF ult. And when they come back onto the map, and let's be honest, he's like 1-7 and seven at this point. What, what more does this matter? His rest of his team's reset. It's not like they're missing a chance to do a play elsewhere. When they come back, they actually have a really close fight around Baron while... Um, the TL fault is down, and they managed to get themselves a more straight 5v5 than they would have done without that ult. There is a sliver of understanding that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to Hilly there, where he's actually realizing, I would imagine on some level, if they have all of their ultimates, it's kind of hard for us to get the fair 5v5, which we win. I think he went way, way too goddamn far to try and start fights on their own, ta own terms to try and win these 5v5s. Um... And that's where kind of things started falling apart. And you do get into that chain death situation where when you're a support set, you don't really get that many resists. You don't really get that much, you know, elsewhere. I think it's different if you've got the center on your own side, of course, which of course Super played two um, really good games off on the other side of it. Um, but yeah, I think there was um, a sense, too much of a sense of urgency from Hilly and that burden needed to be kind of shared around a bit more. 
um, if you're going to try and fight force fights like away from Mad's terms, and they didn't manage to do that, and Hilly obviously dies a million times. I think he pushed too hard for it, and it leaves him looking like a bit of an idiot, really, at the end of it. Um, uh, Super play Varus game two, no? I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I I was just um yeah. looking through the other yeah. games because he played a lot. He played the Varus games in the other ones. I died. Yeah, misspoke yeah. on that one. Uh, and then it, I mean that was a good example. Of all of, I would have said where Kazi wasn't quite on it because I think he should have known that one v one was not really winnable yep. as long as super doesn't miss q um but yeah i mean i've well at time of recording you guys may have seen that uh mr pad from vitality has obviously done what anyone has to do in his position and defend come out and defended hilly but also kind of low-key implied that unfortunately we might have to see him next play on this team so just for, for complete context and point of reference by the way it is very difficult for LEC teams, just as like a general holistic point, to change players between winter and spring, because even if you want to get like some good ERL player, and even if you have the money and the resources too, and it's appealing to that team, because the ERLs still work on a winter and summer um, system, they will be very reluctant to give you a good player because also, it's likely which, which just... player would you get Camilius? That's about it, really, from ERLs right no, now. No, you can switch him um, out with his own player from Vet. Yeah, but like, if you're going to get someone who is going to be like LEC ready, is the problem? No, like... you don't have to be LEC ready. You just have to not be Halasang on this team now. That's how bad he is. But I think, uh, no, I think that's fair. No, I care. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's true. That's true. I mean, if failing anything else, it should be stand. Like at least try it. I would oh, say. Oh yeah, stand's good. But um, remember yeah. casting stand back in the NLC? He was a good old player. He was a was he was on Dusty on the split which they won NLC. I think 2022. I think he's a good player. I like him. Um, the thing is, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, but yeah, as I said, it generally is difficult to make sure. But the, I saw so many, bright, like, Kazi in general, and people obviously like to, to rag on him or whatever and talk about, like, the mad switching the players out and all look at Super. But Super is quite a good AD carry. Like, even in the context of, like, LEC, like, forget, like, in ERL, who's top 20 in Europe, whatever, like, in the context of very, LEC. Very good when he's got a lead. Yeah. Very good. In the context Maybe of LEC, he's a good AD carry. Kazi, for me, is still a better AD carry. I think he's still the best AD carry. I don't think he had a great series. But this guy cannot do anything or cannot reliably do anything when Hilasang is his support. But bearing in mind that you have Kazi, bearing in mind that you have Vito, who seems to be on like a pretty good trajectory, you have carry pieces here that if you can stabilize the support ship, let's say, they can be competitive. Like th This is a team who could be as good as a fanatic let's say next split like all other things equal so yeah i would personally like to see that um let's briefly talk about the last team who's left can us. i just yep, can I just say on, one yep. thing because yeah. we don't just two things i wanted to touch on because we don't praise that enough merwin is the best jace builder i have seen in a long long oh, yeah. time That's right he is so good at building like jace i appreciate that i don't agree with him building the mana moon on like third but that is like a minutia point he is because he, he even in the fanatic game where he went like with his lead went item to item to item he like dropped the mana moon in that game and it was like he has an amazing understanding of building and playing that champion and i think that genuinely should be praised because people dog on pro item builds enough Without the positive. Well, we did Mar it this, 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 even now, didn't we? This episode. Yeah, yeah but like Merwin's, like Jace, really good job. That's like really impressive to see. I couldn't like praise it like enough. Saying the thing is like, and this is the thing, I would prefer a world where like Perks, and I used to say that a bit like Perks, Caps, Hilly, Reckless, I would prefer a world, you know, Odo, 
where they're all great still. Like, I would prefer a world in which all these players were still playing amazing League of Legends. It's just the problem is, is, like, we are now at a point of, like, you're wasting time. You do not have that long in people's careers. It's why I wish I could grab Larson by the ears and, like, shake his head to try and explain to him. Your time of being good and your chances and windows to win, because I've watched it for too long, they are so limited and they are so small. Larson, like, the year he went to Worlds with Odo and Malrang and Comp, that might be, it might have been his only chance to have made, like, a semi-finals in the rest of his, like, career. Now, Larson might be good enough to then get other chances, but there's a, a version where he never, you know what I mean? Like, he never gets teams good around, that are good enough around them. And the thing is, people like Karzy, people like Vito, need to realise, as much as you might like, like Heli, your window is not infinite. It oh, is think not. About someone like, I mean, Febivan's probably not a bad example. Yeah, had, like, exactly. some really yeah. good moments, but actually, you have to capitalise on those moments. And yeah, then suddenly, and this if you is don't the... get that, you're a name that's remembered for, oh, you know, this guy that did pretty good 10 years ago, but then, like, mm. never really leaves an impact out of that. Because the thing is, is I will not say, like, Halasang, like, can never be, like, okay, okay to, like, good or have value somewhere else. The thing is, is, like, the way this team looks right now, he needs to be great somewhere else. Because he's not being great here, he has been extremely detrimental, and that's the problem. Players should be adding value, not taking it away. I, I to be honest, I don't, I just don't see it. Like the thing. No, is, I'm just saying like he yeah, might be. I just yeah, can't obviously, be on that. Ob obviously, it's possible, right? But like, I also think that with someone like Hillisang, who's now like a perpetual like diamond two enjoyer or whatever, like I don't think he even has hands at this point in his career. Like, I don't think he's. Uh, this is like but a tiny, oh. tiny bit of conjecture. I don't feel like he's even playing the game enough based on like what I see to be good at the game yeah. but like but minus like, all the other intangibles or whatever it, it brings up a really important point about being savvy as a player actually obviously I mean the, I think the big the big one with this is Caps moving to G2 and realizing actually you know Fnatic's not where I'm going to be a truly great player um this is good for now in 2018 obviously mid world finals but actually coming off of that and saying no I need to be in this position with these players that's what's going to foster my yeah. my growth that can be super important there is a level of kind of industry intelligence that I think players and players agents, if they're in that position too, need to be aware of in terms of like, I, I thrive in these kind of situations. Sometimes they're quite slim conditions. Sometimes they're quite broad ones. And, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen Hilly be relevant in, in quite a lot of teams. Obviously, he's been some of the best in a hell of a lot of teams. But obviously speaking in more recent terms, you know, he's had wildly varying um, situations. I think that, um, whatever team situation he's in or may end up in, hell, he knows what happens with his career, is to have a really good think about what conditions he needs to succeed as a player and to bring the value that he's currently not bringing if he's going to, you know, be top Yeah, player, the only problem player. with that is I suspect he will no well, actually, longer can have you do that suitors. with his market value now? Yeah, yeah that he well, could... Well, I mean, hell, look at, like, Uzi couldn't get a team this year, yeah. right? After having a pretty okay 2023, 20, but, like, that that's a different thing in the LPL, yeah. but, like... Yeah, some players just don't have the the market value at the point where they need it the most. So yeah, that but that's why it's actually it's funny that you brought up the cap thing because people will like go like and to be like I love it, I embrace it, but people go like bring up takes I've had or and be like, ha ha, look, this is slightly different than you said it would be, ha ha. People forget the worst take I ever had for sure, or at least the worst age take by a mile was when caps went from Fnatic to G two, and I tweeted something like horrible mistake by caps he'll like never live this one down g2 will never do anything again and i predict that Fnatic will like win lec that was never 2019 
That was 2019, the greatest ever Western story. So this is really fun too. This is a bit of revisionist history. <laughs> the amount of people that referred to G2 as a super team were not that high when the roster was actually yeah. put together. It only really came up until, you know, when they started kicking people's heads in. It was like, oh God, this team's awesome. Like at the start of that, people were like, what? Why have we got two mid laners on the same team? And a couple of thoughts like that. Like th the amount of like mental gymnastics we've yeah. gone to and a bit of forgetting has been quite, quite fun to track. But yeah, like people never bring that take up, of which I'm eternally grateful. So thanks very much. Okay, I'm Rather than like, haha, this team is one place above your. That's gonna tier be list. your. That's like, gonna be your YouTube short. You know, just like I, Rich, do declare that in 2019, I did make this statement. Oh no, I'm <laughs> editing this out of the vod. So yeah, yeah there, there we go. Uh, right, let's talk about Mad because Mad played against who's I play SK, um, and. We still to speak about Fnatic. They have to play Fnatic. We're to talk about Fnatic's games and SK game and Mad versus. Wait, sorry, yeah, one second. I'm lost here. What happened? Oh yeah, no, sorry. Mad beat Vitality two zero. Obviously, um, who? Oh yeah, they beat Giant X, didn't they? So yeah, Mad play Fnatic. Um, in what what will be, regardless of uh, the result, I think a super amazingly fun series to watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mad are the team. I think the two teams that people would say had like the most deviation from what they predicted was probably BDS, I suppose, who most people had around. Well, actually, we had around five. A lot of people had like bottom or close to yeah. bottom. And then obviously Mad, who we all, for example, had very, very low. Um, yep. Maybe even 10. Who knows? Tenth. Who can remember? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I had them 10. And obviously they are now secured uh, top four. Now, what I would say, even though, as you know, the, the supposed resident mad hater, um, I don't like this narrative of like, ah, oh, but look who they've had to beat to get there. It's like, to be honest, yeah, most of these teams are really fucking flawed. But how many good teams do you think there were in the league? And in what reality could they have matched them? It, like, it doesn't makes sense like now they're going to play against the teams that we think are better right like bds g2 Fnatic. like these are the teams where you're going to see okay what is the current ceiling of this team so none of these results were surprising and that was like people ragging after um you know they beat vitality i, th I thought that would be vitality like at that point yeah they probably will these teams are flawed sk are flawed all these other teams are flawed right giant yeah, X i think, is I very think it's flawed. fair to say our opinions have changed since of course since pre-season yeah but of course yeah it's yeah, regular season um so yeah i mean <laughs> what's what's funny though is i, I still like when people asked at the start like who who would you think is i think kira even asked me like who which two players do you think are the most lec ready i said merwin and alvaro who i do actually think have been their best players i then do actually think that merwin didn't play particularly well in my opinion for a period but in playoffs he's been very good again um super as you said he's been pretty good for Scowy, i actually oh, no, compare for Scowy to like what happened in that like perks azir game when perks won like six zero go actually watch that perks get he was actually really bad in that game by the way like i'm not saying like all the way throughout the game like he did capitalize on some misplay but niski was horrible and sk played horribly into perks's hand so that was like sorry that does not count as a good perks game um and i do think that for caught some horrendous fumbles as well rather than him you know, generating his own. I didn't like his Kaiser. I did like his Talia, but the Kaiser game was. Yeah, his Talia was actually actually his Talia was quite opportunist. Yeah. I'll give him that. Like he he did uh, he was definitely part of gaining gaining the wins there. But anyway, yeah, this is a really fun team. Um, obviously they're playing Fnatic. How how do you see this series, Nymera? Who do you think has the edge? Where do you think this is won and lost? 
Um, so I I really like how Alvaro is playing. Um, I think that he is really key to. Uh, he's he's massively outperforming. Well, that one so Rakan game, by the way, which is actually oh, about as bad okay. as Hillisang's Rakan. Not honestly, yeah, that, that was, was horrendous. Yeah. So but, like, but, he like, did not land a W for the first twenty minutes. <laughs> Just, just in regards to like him being a shot caller for a team as a new player in the LEC, yeah. um, <laughs> like I think I was, I was chatting about this um, yesterday because I, I went to go see the, the last series in, in studio as well. So I saw um, Mad uh, they're winning that one, and I was just chatting to some folks there, thinking, you know, the level of support in EU was awful last year. Support was genuinely awful. It was Mickey, and then pretty much nobody else. Um, I think this year, because of, you know, I think Labrol's been performing very well. I think that Alvaro has been an absolute breath yeah. of fresh air. I'm actually quite a big fan of how support's doing compared to last year in, in LEC. I think it was doing really well. Um, and I think we see that really flourish when Alvaro has a foothold in the game, when their laning phase has gone well and the early game has had like 1-1 one, one skirmish. If you give up one good skirmish to Mad, particularly around the bot side of the map... Things go to shit really quickly because they're very, very good about leveraging those kinds of advantages. Yes. Now, the problem is, um, like, if you lose an early game skirmish, Mad fall apart. And that's one of the things which I am not looking forward to seeing them play against Fnatic, where if they do have a good early game, um, Fnatic are going to tear this team to shreds because they're going to keep trying to make plays into them and they're going to get just absolutely destroyed. Um, so I think early game has a huge highlight, uh, particularly around bot side for both these teams. I think that's... Potentially another problem too, because while I think Super has played very well again for a debutant in LEC, Noah's Ezreal on 14-2, which is a very strong champion, has been pretty phenomenal. His late game Ezreal also put out a hell of a lot of damage in yeah. their series versus SK. Um, so I think there's a real worry point for Mad down there. I'm not going to say this is an unwinnable series. I think it's far from that. I think that Mad that, that they've they've got some really cool solo lane picks, you know, with the TF top, which obviously G2 have pulled out as well. Mad, they are still, you know, the the weird stuff team. They'll they'll throw a curveball in there. Um the most important thing for me is can bot lane get ahead early because if they do, I think they stand a chance. I think they're very good at snowballing that. If they can't stand up to um you know, uh, Noah's, Noah's Ezreal picks, which have been really strong. And, you know, maybe Jun has a pop-off game on a Blitzcrank. I think he's been a little bit quiet. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a, a, a so-so. Then um, that's that's where the game's going to be decided for me. By the way, I, I would just say, like, this idea that Mad plays, um, they play, like, super aggro. They try and make loads of things happen in the early game. And then even, as Nymera said, like, if they get a bit behind or something, they, like, keep trying to do that. Mm. I do much prefer this to the, the sort of like uh, the passive bleed out slowly approach that a lot of teams <laughs> do like to opt into. So yeah, even though that is, you know, not super good, it's the kind of thing that once you just get better as a team, you can actually start to do the flip. Like G2 used to do this a lot where they would just like get really behind early and they just keep making plays that are like 30, 70s, but they're just trust in their ability to like, outbrain you and out mechanic you in the skirmish that they would actually flip games on their head quite a lot so i do like that even though i don't think they're in a position where they can really win 30 70s reliably but uh yeah kira what what do you make of this matchup uh i think it's really like oscar topside like dependent um he's been awful by the way i don't way. think he's been so much awful i think he I, don't has. Think... I think i don't think he's been great <laughs> i think he's been awful <laughs> But yeah, sorry. Because, like, the game, I think, like, the problem is, is, like, his weaknesses have been, like, exploited. I think he's still just the same player, like, not good at laning. So, when it's, like, when he's in the karma, like, Zach, like, matchup, like, it looked, 
like for example, looked like a lot like worse. Uh, irrelevant, and here's the thing, and I'll get to this. Irrelevant is Oscar's dad for some strange and unknown reason. That player just annihilates Oscar, like bodies him to, to like an almost like comical degree. But he, by the way, but I I don't actually agree that Oscar's laning was always bad. I think Oscar was like a decent laner who was quite irresponsible in lane. Like he would do like the visit Charchi thing of like over pushing and not understanding the limits or like where jungler could be quite a lot of the time. But I think as like a pure laner, he's fine. I just think irrelevant, like exacerbated the difference that like currently exists between those two players. But I think that he, it's hard to talk about regression in the context of like a series or something, but I think like the last two series, Everything he's done basically has been at a worse level than we've his seen Aatrox, recently. Yeah, like his Aatrox stuff like wasn't good. Um, it's really funny because I actually think like Fnatic were better than like SK in like the series, but like SK should have won it obviously because of the yeah. game state like they got True, it into, yeah. which is like you know just a funny thing to like watch. Yeah. Um. Oh, did you see by the way? Like if Niski had bought like a blue pop. Yeah, I know. Game. There's the, the amount of times that that happens in backdoor yeah. situations. People don't actually know what items do, man. <laughs> uh, but I digress, of course. Um, I don't know. Like you know, Fnatic has got like a lot of answers. Uh, you know, when they last played, it was a good series. You know, the Darius into Zach. There's a lot of like different like mismatches. You know, Merwin's going to be prepped for that now. You know, Fnatic finally moved the Karma into the mid lane rather than having it on Oscar because that was in game three or no game two. Was that game two? They had uh, humanoid on the um humanoid Karma. Corky in game three. Corky no? M three. Yeah. Corky in game three. Which game was the Karma? But anyway, like Fnatic's moved game like, two. Karma... The one that they won. Yeah, yeah, they've moved like the karma into the mid lane, which is the preference, in my opinion. I think that's where it's like best, not on like the isolated one v one lanes. Um, I think what's crazy is, is in terms of like actual like Noah looked as played some of his like best individual League of Legends. His like skill shot accuracy or like Ezreal was pretty impressive. Especially like, as Jun wasn't looking too hot as well this series, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like more so. Yeah, yeah, so there's a couple of like. Uh, big things in that respect. Um, I, I'm not sure. Like, I think Fnatic should win it. I, I like not secretly. I think Fnatic are actually the second best team, or the team with the best chance of actually beating G2. Um, even though their like floor might be like worse than like a team like BDS, when they hit like their upper limit, it does actually result in more game, probably game wins versus like G2. Um, the like the really first the interesting thing is like you get a really pure matchup in terms of like Aloya and Razork. They share a lot of the same champion pool. You know what I mean? It's gonna be interesting to see how they lay they play around each other. I think the two big blow up moments that could be like Madline's bot lane could blow up Fnatics without Razork like prioritizing for them. And I think Humanoid could blow up Friscoe in like certain like key matchups. It kinda like depends. I don't know what you do, uh, you just let Humanoid play lots and lots of games of, like, Corky, because it just looks so strong in Fnatic's hands. Well, I mean, if Rescovy gets Karma, that's, like, easy nullify mid lane. That's, that's one nullify, of the issues but... but, like, the, Madline's lost the poke game pretty badly. Like, the game went on for ages, but Merwin on the Jace was, like, carrying, and Friscovy on Ezreal was, like, eyesores. I don't know if you want to get into a poke war with Fnatic. They look like they understand those like comps like better than most teams. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, my prediction would be that Fnatic should win it, like maybe like three two three one. I think a lot of the games will look really close and then like detonate at like key points. Um, I, 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 the, yeah, the 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 other like 
thing you kind of got to be considerate of though is is like you know Oscar Allen had the upper hand on Merwin the first time round you know what I mean is that going to continue like here like I'm presuming like an, an, an ideal situation like yes but like, that doesn't have to be like the case um, you know, is Oscar Ennen going to move on to that Yon again? Wasn't brilliant in the game that it was in. It kind of just done its job, but I don't know. I think it'll be like, it'll look close, if you know what I mean, but and I think Fnatic will just like win it out of like slowly over time. Yeah, I think Fnatic just have more win conditions. I think for me, mad when I look at it, I'm like, they have a very significant loss condition. Is like if if bot lane falls behind, I don't trust Mad to to win games. I think that they need bot lane to be ahead just because the position that Alvaro and, and Super kind of like put within their are put within their team. Whereas I look at you know if Oscar Inin holds his own top side and Mirwin doesn't pop off, that's actually a really big thing for Fnatic. I think that Razork, we know that he can have some excellent games. Has he been completely um, consistent? No. But, you know, I think that if Humanoid pops off, I think if Noah pops off, I think that if Razzle pops off, I think Fnatic have more options to, like, blow open games than Mad do, which for me, I, I know that top lane could be an issue if, if Oscar Renan, um starts falling behind, but really for me, it's bot lane where I've got my eyes. I think because of that 3-1 Fnatic, could go 3-2, I don't think that's out of, out, out of um, the question, because these teams are both quite volatile in their own way. Um, but yeah, I think, I think 3-1 Fnatic would be where I put it. This is fairly, admittedly, shallow analysis, but I, I would be slightly concerned. Um, in, I feel like with Fnatic, they're a team that because they're like one of these teams which have like low floor, but in theory, high ceiling, we give them a lot of leeway when it comes to judging their past performances. I think that past performance against SK was poor. I think they were not good in that series. I think even though they were, I did think they, again, as Kira put it perfectly, they did look like they were better at League, but at the same time, they shouldn't have won the series. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking bonkers. But they were also playing against an SK team who their strength is meant to be, like, uh, how solid they are. And Niski was pretty awful. And Isma yep. was not great either. And it's like, okay, Irrelevant was really good. And that it's reaching a level where you can say that's fairly replicable and predictable that irrelevant will be good. But I think when your top laner, in the context of Europe, when your top laner is playing really well, but then your jungle mid is like not doing super well and your like bot lane's kind of going even or whatever, like that's not what they'll get. Like you have to put that team in the ground as Fnatic, in my opinion. Like that was a not a good series at all. So if we were going just based on form, which I feel like we would kind of do with some other teams, I feel like we would be less high or less confident that they would definitely win this series. Um, oh, I'm less confident. Like, that's 100% true. I mean, on yeah. form, Mad should win, in my opinion. Like, Mad should be favoured to win this series. I'm not going well, to... if you just took them immediately off of the riff from the last series? Yeah, so. off, off when, if, take the nameplates off. You watch those two series, Team A versus Team B. You would definitely pick Mad. Of nameplates were off, I think, based off their and a best of five, maybe not because like it was like yeah, I can I can kind of see the reasoning for that. Like the problem is, is like even if Fnatic I think it's were close, like... I think it's close actually. Thinking about it on form, but um... I don't know, but because the problem is, is I just think of Frescovi versus Humanoid, and that's just, oh like, yeah yeah no, 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 that's again. Hellscape. Don't get me wrong, like I'm picking Fnatic, but I do think yeah. that Fnatic are a bit of a mess, and I think it will actually go five games. But I think it will be when Mad win their games, they will be Goomba Stomp FF15. I think when Fnatic win their games, they'll probably be one of those in there, kind of, where it's like, okay, they just got the right people got ahead super early. And then the other two will just be 
the gold leads are sufficiently close and we are better at League of Legends. Or like Mad makes an early mistake. They've done, yeah. done overdives on bot side before. Constantly, actually. Exactly, yeah. They've they'll, done a yeah. lot of overdives there'll be, on bot There'll side. be a game like that which <laughs> Fnatic can just snowball from like, you know, minute three or whatever. But I also think there'll be a game or two where Fnatic just plays out mid-game scenarios where like gold's fairly even or whatever. And, and it's just chose out to be the superior team. But I do actually think it'll be a pretty close series. I'm not super confident on this one at all. And if Mad won 3-0, I wouldn't be like, oh my God. Like that could definitely happen as well. That is a reality I could definitely see happening. Because if, if Fnatic are just a bit sloppy and they allow El Yoya... By the way, you can look at the jungle heat maps of what El Yoya does around bot, by the way. The guy fucking lives there. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so, but he like covered... He covers on like specific like timings where like bot is like, and it yes. unlocks Elvara, which is such such a huge thing to how they play so um so yeah i mean if if they if fanatic just lose the bot battle over like multiple games i mean they lose the series i think i think it's it's kind of that simple so yeah i am gonna go for fanatic but um i think it will be close and if mad one and if mad one comfortably i wouldn't be like absolutely shocked right the last thing i want to talk about with you guys is obviously the potential matchups here, because we obviously we've got this little tree where Fnatic play Mad, and then the winner plays BDS, and then the winner of that plays G two. Kira, I get the feeling that you believe that Fnatic would have the best chance of beating G two, but before they even get there, would you trust them in a series against BDS? I think BDS is like harder because like BDS is like got like a like a floor like Fnatic like I don't I wouldn't like favor Fnatic. The thing is in the game versus like BDS. I don't think it was like it was like some unwinnable like sit, like situation and like I think Razor versus not versus but into um heal you know what I mean that isn't like exploitable in terms of like as a one condition um and interestingly enough you know you got humanoid like into specifically Nux champion pool, even though Nux playing a lot better, you've got like the Quay, which like can yeah. cause a lot of problem for a lot of like Nux like comfort picks. So I would say they're like less likely to win it. Being like true to myself, I think BDS like should beat them, like pro or probably of course across the course of the series, because like the very good Fnatic doesn't show up regularly enough for me to like predict them as such. But I wouldn't be like surprised. The, the 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 thing interesting thing about like Fnatic, and this is what makes them like kind of a cool team in EU, is the feat is always within their grasp in terms of like winning any individual game or like any individual like series. I would put it like BDS like three two three one. Um, but if Fnatic won that series, I'd be like less surprised that Fnatic beat BDS than I would have mad beat Fnatic. If you get what I mean. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Like I think it's like more likely. Get, and would you, you give Mad a shot at all against BDS, or do you think that's a rough one? I think that's a really, really rough one. But again, and, and this is in the sense of like, I think it's terrible if you have something like for Scovey who just splits versus Nuck, where like I think you actually have to put Nuck on a, like a back step. I also think, in terms of like mid game, like Mad lines aren't as anywhere near as like coordinated, and like BDS outside of like G2's like brilliance are the most coordinated like mid game team and they can often like pick like incoherent parts away from like MAD. MAD's like coherency is less in the actual micro, it's more in terms of like the macro overall like big picture. Um outside of like Alvaro who like pairs up pretty well sometimes with like Aloya and gets unlocked like well by Aloya's play. Um you know well, I think she I think that's proactive. I think that the MAD mid uh, jungle support is proactive, don't get me wrong. I think that their setup and like their, their bare bones essentials though in terms of like vision control is a really bad fit for um, someone like BDS. And 
that this is why you know when we go right back to the start of what we were talking about between G2 and BDS, I said, well, actually, one of the big things which G2 did was deny the shallow vision which BDS so oftenly get, um, so often get around mid lane, which allows them to go for those big pick catches which lead into the team fights which turn the game. Um, and one of the other ways that they run that as well is by having like obnoxious top lane 1v1 champions which just get ahead of the game. Now, the problem is against someone like Fnatic and why I think BDS would beat Fnatic is that Oscar Innan is not going to be shutting down Adam in a 1v1 mm. um, the way that BB did, w can, can do as well and stuff like the, the Aswo in mid game, which is just like Mininar can't walk up to that. Um, I also don't think that Fnatic's jungle support are as evolved at visions at vision play as as we've seen um bds's be actually i think that they've been very good at setting up their vision around mid lane i think g2 had the level to deny that but fanatic are going to need to like get a lot of their fundamentals in check for me to be actually be more confident about them like if it comes down to even team fights yeah i think there's there's worlds where fanatic win even though uh, bds are a really good um team fighting team I think that Fnatic probably do have a better. Ch oh God, do they have a better chance versus G two? I think they definitely do. Like that's the, the, the yeah, crazy probably thing. just because and BDS. I think I think G two have kind of cracked BDS for now, so BDS mm. are going to have to do like a lot of like R and D Ooh, before searching. they face them again. They're going to have to do a bit. They're going to have to go. There's a point in the Scott Pilgrim comics where both Scott and Ramona need to go on a wilderness sabbatical to figure their shit out. BDS. I don't know whether they have time for the full wilderness sabbatical, but like they need this shit. It ain't. The, the it ain't working right now. The other thing is, is like Adam could just like end up like playing like better individual games into like BB. Like well, Adam yeah. probably has like a worse. Like the thing is, is like BB mm. isn't some like Adam actually has like a historically like not bad matchup into like uh, BB. And there's like a version, even though like BB un characteristically actually plays a lot of the Adam what we call Adam like picks, um, which is like a strength that Adam over time has like played like well regardless of like well game results, um. So there is a version, and I've said this again, you know, Shio, uh, and even on an individual level, I think still needs his, like, game, like, rounded up in terms of the early game. It still looks very, like, weak, even though he does find, like, proactive and, like, good targeted engages in, like, the mid-game, which is BDS's strength. You know, you still got to shore up that early game weakness, for myself, in my, for, in my opinion. That's my issue with, like, the BDS-G2 matchup, is unfortunately... I felt like individually the BDS players did not play well enough for us to know like exactly what they need to do to like overcome G2. Like the way Adam played, particularly game one, was I don't want to like overstate this, like it was, you know, Hillasang on, on set or something, but he completely hamstrung the team to the point where as I said, I think BDS straight up win game one if he doesn't, and then what <clears> happens <throat> in the series? Like I would still think that G2 probably win, but like now we're hypothesizing what like BDS need to go away and do when they were like 50% of themselves when they played G2, you know, that's, that's also what like with. Dylan in the post-match interviews saying like, well, we were kind of like, you know, Adam didn't pull out his champions today. We don't know whether that's because of our prep, but you know, that's, that's a, that's a big thing for this series. So like, I, I think Adam, if he finds a way, well, I think for me, it's more the team finding a draft where they are comfortable to allow Adam back onto his champions, which they've done a hell of a lot of. I don't know why they stopped doing that against um, T2, actually. I mean, the Rum yeah, Rumble's a great tier list pick, and the Nars a great pick in general right now, but I think just you, you, they'd stand a better chance with Adam actually on his more specialty champions, which allows him to blow up in the game if you, if you make one mistake into him. So we'll see if that happens, but like, if they go in with the same understanding that they did into the last best of five, it is, I mean, it's obviously not going to be close. I mean, I actually do think if they play again, that it will be relatively close for the reasons that I said before. As I said, the problem is that 
BDS didn't max out what they were already doing. So that's a bit awkward. Um, I think there was an element of, I'm not going to call it sandbagging, but there's an element of when it comes to the Adam picks, for example, that you, you know, going into that series, you're almost certainly going to have to play and beat G2 twice. So it's like, that's my only problem with that. This is my only problem with the bracket is you have this best of five. Remember, it's the first best of five, right? While other teams going through the sort of the latter stages, if you like, are still playing best of threes. And it's like, Jesus Christ, I have to play the number one seed in Europe in a best of five. And that doesn't win, win me shit other than another chance to play them, most likely, right? That's the only thing I don't like about that because... Imagine BDS win that like in a breathless 3-2. It's like, mm. fuck, man. It's so only to get swept, let's say, in like the, you know, next time they play. Like, I don't know. So to me, as I said, I'm not suggesting for a millisecond that they actually sound bad or something like that. But the idea that they may have held certain things back, particularly as evidenced by like Adam not playing any of the gods, for example, or whatever, I think you will see more of that. And I do think it will be closer. And that is one of the reasons why I made the prediction that I thought G2 would win initially, but then maybe BDS would have a great chance in a rematch. I, obviously, I feel less good about that now because I think G2 basically daddied BDS around, particularly around the map. Like with the map movements, I thought they really showed that they are just superior in their understanding. And no matter what picks you withhold, that's not really going to change or in terms of how it manifests, like, you know, barring some ex extreme use of global champions or something like that, right? That They just showed they have a better understanding. So I don't feel good about the pick, you know, going going forward but i do think it will be closer should that happen uh, in terms of like mad being able to do something against bds if they get past fanatic again super obvious thing to say but i think depending on how the series against fanatic looks i'll have a much better idea of how that might stack up right as of right now in theory it should be like an okay matchup for mad because again it's like high early game upside potentially against a team who doesn't even seem to value like making early game plays that highly. Uh, but I just think that BDS keeping gold close will just out team fight everyone like without a shadow of a doubt. So yeah, I, um, I don't really see, I don't really see an angle there. I guess if, if you're doing like a tier list of what is most likely, I would go um, BDS fanatic mad in terms of like likelihood of being g2 uh, so yeah that's that's how i would probably see it um but yeah that's gonna be it for this week guys uh we will uh, see you next time and i'm sure nymera you know maybe he'll be here maybe he won't hopefully he'll have some more fencing anecdotes if he is i, I personally so I did it for years were you a foil or no, saber abuser Neither. There are Neither. three. There's foil. There's epe, There's epe, and then there's saber as well. Ah, okay. I yeah, always. I what, I, okay. What I didn't understand about saber, right? Because I I went to one fencing thing ever, right? Yeah. And initially it was like foil or whatever, and they're like, oh, you can try out the sabers if you want, and they're like, what you want to do is unlike with foil, where it's sort of you know jabbing, I guess, like yeah. mainly like you try, they're like, what you want to do is like fifty grams of pressure on the tip, yeah. Right. You want to like whip the saber like around and how does this replicate yeah, so, so sword fighting at all like I'm saber gonna is bend. about contact not about pressure so what you right. do with the whip is then it allows kind of the billet blade to uh to bend so if someone tries to block it then yeah. it will still hit you anyway so oh no you can I, do that with foil too technically but it's i hard. get like the mechanic i just thought like surely the whole point of fencing is like you're replicating sword fighting if you had an actual sword fight like i'm gonna try no, and bend yeah, my blade actually, like it's fucking that, wanted then, or something then, then, 
Hema is the one to do. I'm a slave boy. I've got to go. Like, I, I, yeah. I've got to go. Anyway, catch you around. thank you very much. Thanks all for watching, and we will see you next time. <laughs>